Howdy, howdy, my dear listeners. Now, you all are a fine lot, and I do my best to spread whatever helpful warnings come my way, but today is, as a bunch of long-dead people once said, a slow news day. Not much seems to be going on out there in the great wide dust bowl, and really, that has me worried. See, when a beast like this world is quiet and still, just means it's thinking and waiting planning something awful. So keep your wits about you. Even though things are on the slow and low side doesn't mean we don't have anything to talk about. Why, there is a mystery out there. Remember the other day when I mentioned little Nit Tartley getting kidnapped by that band of scrud suckers? Well, it would seem the whole lot of them up and died in one big bloody way. Our man on the scene a poor soul who'd not seen so many people's insides on the outside before, said it looked like he'd been ripped apart by a wicked blade. Now, no finer group of people ever deserved a bit of sharp justice, but that isn't the mysterious part. Nit wasn't among them. The girl wasn't taken home, wasn't caught up in the slaughter. She was just... gone. A curious thing. Speaking of curious things, our tale tonight is all about one. Let's all put our thinking caps on as we try and figure out what happened on Laurel Road. Hawthorne County, Interrogation Room 3B, Officer McBride, number 916. The time is 3.40 on July 12th. Please state your name for the recordings. Jason Voigt. Alright, Jason. Won't you walk me back through it? Again? Nice and slow. Tell me what you think happened on Laurel Road. (sighs) We were just going for a drive. There wasn't much to distract Jason from his wife's tirade. At first, after the speeding ticket... He tried tuning her out by rolling the windows down and letting the roar of the wind fill his ears. Chrissy, however, would not be outdone. She simply increased the volume until not even the rush of 60 miles an hour could drown her out. Then, Jason tried to lose himself in the rhythm of the road. He focused on the twists and turns of the asphalt. Every bend or switchback turn became another note in his travel song. But it didn't do any good. Her words started to cut a little deeper. They'd been in love for years. She knew just how to hurt him. Maybe next time, take some goddamn look out! Chrissy screamed as they plowed into a man in the middle of the road. The car shot up and down as it ran over him. Jason cut the wheel and hit the brakes so hard they whipped to the side and skidded ten feet. Chrissy's face twisted up when she started to punch Jason in the arm. He just stared blankly at her, confusion all over his face. I didn't see her. His hand couldn't grip the door. I didn't see him. Oh, God, Jesus Christ, get out there. Chrissy took out her phone and tried to unlock the screen, but her fingers didn't want to work. To Jason, it looked like she was moving in slow motion. Call a fucking ambulance. What are you doing? His hand started fumbling with the door. The shock was gone and replaced by a frantic adrenaline. 
he hit someone, ran them over. What the hell was going on? I'm fucking trying. Just get out there. I can't. Here. Chrissy leaned over and pulled the door release. Go. She managed to unlock her phone just as Jason got out of the car. Oh, shit. There in the road, right smack dab in the double yellow line, was a sprawled out man. He looked like he was wearing a long coat, something like a duster or a trench coat, unusual with this hot summer they were having. Hey. Hey, are you, are you okay? He went a little closer. Uh, yeah, we're, we're on Laurel Road. Jason heard Chrissy talking. Uh, you need to send me an ambulance or, or something. We, somebody's been hit. A gust of wind rustled the coat, but the man still didn't move or make a sound. Jason morbidly wondered why there wasn't any blood. He came up just ten steps short. Something was wrong. The man looked like he was on his belly, but it was completely flat. Paper-thin cardboard cut-out flat. Wafer-thin hands stuffed into coat sleeves, and the feet looked like crumpled accordions. What skin he could see looked the color of old oatmeal. Is he breathing? Chrissy asked from the car, but Jason didn't answer her. The sound of his wife's voice seemed to have roused the man. The thing. It slowly set up like something out of a cartoon. A two-dimensional character suddenly in a 3D world. The face was eyeless and limp. The mouth hung open like a dark hole in the impossibly thin face. There were no teeth that he could see. Jason watched, uncomprehending, as the thing stood up fully and turned to face him. It somehow puckered lips and drew in a deep breath. Its frame started to swell like a balloon until the proportions were almost right, almost human. A strange sound drew Jason's eye to the thing's bare chest. It was naked under the coat, and he only just noticed it. Under a faded tattoo that said, Born Free, was a four-inch tear. Air was leaking out from it with the same sound as a whoopee cushion. The whole scene was just too much for Jason's mind to handle. The shock of the accident, combined with the comical sound, he couldn't help but burst out into hysterical laughter. His lungs burned and his ribs ached, but he couldn't stop laughing. Even as the creature that looked like a man advanced on him, he couldn't, not until it struck him in the chest. All the air was driven out of him. Jason staggered, and with another blow he fell back completely. It was as if someone had opened up his torso, lit a fire in the hole, and then shown him closed. No breath would come. And as he stared into the eyeless face that loomed above him, he heard his wife scream. Then, darkness. It seemed to Jason that he had just blinked. A few blissful seconds of oblivion, and then back into a world of pain. He tried to get to his feet, but just breathing was a fresh torture. He could still hear Chrissy screaming, but it was different. No edge of fear in the cries, only a blunt tone of pain. That sound, more than anything, drove him to stand. He'd heard it before, that suffered sound. In his shell-shocked state, it reminded him of his mother, and all those nights he'd listen to her make that same cry from the other side of a bathroom door. That was where he'd hid when his father's fists were tight. On those nights when his mom wasn't fast enough to get away. Just as the screaming stopped, Jason got to the car. Whatever it was wasn't anywhere in sight. He leaned heavy on the hood, 
and used it to help him lurch to the open door. An inhuman cry tore its way out of his throat at what he saw on the other side. Chrissy lay half in, half out of the car. She'd been skinned, her body stripped, and every inch of her epidermis peeled away. White fat oozed in a lumpy mass on her chest. Her lips had been cut all the way to the gums. Even her nose had been flayed off. Her eyes bore into his, crazed, mad from agony. There was a low wheeze, air through her teeth. She was still alive. Unthinking, he grabbed her up. His bare hand sank into and tore at the gore of his wife's body. She sobbed. Exposed nerves bucked and jerked her. She flopped into fresh hell. I'm sorry. Jason wept until Chrissy finally grew still and her eyes dimmed. That's when he saw the jacket at her feet. In a rage, he picked it up and a cloud of dust rose from it. Nearly choked him. Officer McBride shut off the recorder and left the interrogation room. He then went into the room beside it where his partner, Cummings, had been watching the whole thing through a one-way glass. Fucking sicko, McBride said before he polished off his coffee. A paper-thin man murdered my wife. That is a new one. Cummings never took his eyes off Jason, who had put his head in his hands as soon as McBride left. McBride poured himself another coffee. Anything to help get the awful taste out of his mouth. I'm gonna need something stronger after being spoon-fed that bullshit for three hours, he thought to himself. Cummings handed him a folder. Bruising of the rib fracture could have been caused by a seatbelt, he shrugged. Or not. Save for the head wound, I bet. McBride tossed the vial down in disgust. Hey, it's like you've done this job before. His partner turned away for the first time to look McBride in the face. Gets worse. <laughs> How? DA still hung up on the timeline. The hell? Says the time between her calling and talking to the dispatch and us arriving on scene don't add up. Thinks there had to be a second person. Emmy backs him up too. She was the one who said it was only Jason's DNA in the body. Claims there's no way just one man could skin a 160-pound adult alive and with no restraints. Cap wants to turn the screws. Get him to give up his partner. Ah, please tell me we've got some good news. McBride wanted nothing more than to see that piece of shit fry for what he'd done to that woman. Now he was going to have to listen to more horse shit for hours or until Jason lawyered up. The thought of arguing this insanity again turned his stomach. Well, I wouldn't say it was good. Cummings lowered his eyes. He took another folder from the desk and opened it. He handed McBride a photo of a middle-aged man on a motorcycle. Epithelial cells in that jacket gave us a hit. That's real gestures. The why do they want us to flip this asshole? Right here's our second man. Cassie. Coming sold up another photo, this one of a flayed corpse. Is also Earl Jester's. Only from three years ago up in Atlanta. McBride took both photos and stared at them for a long time. What are you saying to me? Cummings turned back to look at Jason. I'm saying his story might not be as paper thin as we thought. 